A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. I am so excited to be joined today by Dr. Tamara Tweel, and she is going to tell you her official title because it's very fancy and very long. <laughs> I don't know about that. It definitely is long. Um, I'm currently the Director of Strategic Development at Hillel International's Office of Innovation, which is a think-and-do tank for uh, the Hillel movement and the Jewish people. That's wonderful. That sounds really, really cool. Yeah, I feel really blessed to be there. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm thank, thankfully, I'm, I also get to still teach, which I love. <laughs> now, and tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, in what way? <laughs> like your um, career education background, and or I guess you can also tell us how you ended up before the Ohio legislator testifying. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay. Um, Professionally, I guess, I um, graduated college as a political science and art history major. And then oh, my I gosh, went me to, too. Uh, well, I was an art history <laughs> minor, but that's amazing. I actually, I felt like we had that in common hearing you speak. I, I really appreciate your sensibility. 
<laughs> I was like, I'm, I feel like we are fellow travelers in that way. I um, love it. So, yeah, and then I went to divinity school, and I got a master's in theological studies, um, and then worked in New York City at the Interfaith Center of New York, and then went back to get my Ph.D. in uh, U.S. history at Columbia, and I ended up in Ohio because I was teaching at, I got actually ended up there, my husband was there for work, and then I ended up at a fellowship at Ohio State. So we were there for five years, which is um, how I ended up. Uh, that's a short story of how I ended up there and in front of the legislature. <laughs> so I in- first encountered your story because a shared friend sent it to me, but it was, you know, actually, I don't know if Laura sent the story to me first or if I saw it in Lenny letter, but then I, you know, I started reading about your experience and it really touched me because I'm, and I don't know if Laura shared this with you, our mutual friend, but that I also lost a pregnancy at about 16 weeks and the, well, it was 20 weeks, but the, the fetus had passed away in 16 oh. weeks. And I'm I, so sorry. Oh, well, thank you. And I had, you know, I had a doctor at the time who was the only option that was presented to me was labor. And I was like, I always described it as a horse on a bit. Like, I was like, nope, not going to happen. I'm not doing that. And um, Laura, through her support, who was also just like, you're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. Um, and she was like, I don't know what you're going to do, but that's not it. And so I started calling a mutual friend of mine and, and I was very lucky. And I found a doctor in my town who um, performed D and E's um, as late as I was. Basically, I was very close to the cutoff, but it was fine. And I was able to have surgery, which was much less traumatic for me than going through labor. And so I have this very personal connection to the idea that women when facing truly terrible situations should not be additionally traumatized by our medical system, which is unfortunately what seemed to happen to you. Yeah. And I just, uh, and I'm sure you were in the same stage of life that I was, which is, you know, it took me a while to get pregnant. My first pregnancy, um, you can sort of tell that from the article, but my first pregnancy, I also had to have a DNC at 13 weeks. And then my second pregnancy, thank God, was viable, and I had a beautiful child, and then this was my third pregnancy. So I've, I've always, I felt like this stage of my life was not about each individual pregnancy, but that I had a life-giving capacity, mm-hmm. and I wanted to preserve it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the hardship for me, was if I had had to go through the like awful process of going into labor for a non-viable pregnant fetus, that, like... You, it, you know, you're just taking away even more of your the time in which you could have a child mm-hmm. and you're adding more and more risk. And it was actually going to hurt my capacity to be life-giving. So tell us about what happened, if you don't mind. Um, so it was, as I had mentioned, it was my third pregnancy. It was a very wanted pregnancy. <laughs> I tried. I was really, really thrilled to be pregnant. And at my 13-week sonogram, um, it was it was just every like I mean the nurse looked scared the doctor came in mm-hmm. um, nothing about the fetus looked I mean um, it just looked really um, bad according to the sonogram specialist and my doctor so like the details are unfortunately just really sad like the organs weren't in the baby's body the feet were turned in the wrong way and my doctor at the I wasn't my doctor but the doctor who was seeing me at the time told me that the fetus was not compatible with life. Like that was the language. So I went home and then that was, it's actually really interesting to me because the doctor who 
my doctor wanted me to have the DNC immediately mm. um, because he felt he know he had also gone through this process with me and like very much knew that I wanted to be pregnant um, and knew that giving birth to a stillborn would put me like really put me at risk. Mm-hmm. And then I learned from like other doctors later that it wasn't just like a risk for my fertility, but like a real risk to my life. Mm. Like where there were all these things that could, could go wrong. That would be like life threatening. Oh, wow. And, and I think I had mentioned in the Lenny letter that like right after my ordeal, and I'll tell you more about it. There was a woman in Ireland who actually died from a very similar diagnosis. I did. I read her story. Yeah. So it was a sim- remarkably similar situation, and that woman simply needs the DNC. She was never going to have a viable pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was like agreed. So at this stage, I would say it was agreed that the fetus would never live. Um, and I'm a religious person, so I also didn't understand. In my first pregnancy, there was no heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So I knew that when I had the DNC, everyone was sort of on board. But in this pregnancy, there was a heartbeat. So everything became much more complicated mm-hmm. because of where I lived in Ohio. Mm-hmm. So the immediate complication was the insurance company wouldn't cover it. And so my doctors wanted to send me to Planned Parenthood. And then I did, this whole thing just became really like explosive because everyone was calling it an abortion. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want an abortion. I didn't like, I didn't, I just didn't understand the language here. Yeah. And finally, you know, and it just felt so crass. Like, I, it just felt very crass. Mm. Um, so what I, what I did also was I actually called my rabbi because as these things came up, I just was so confused. I wasn't sure, and I'm, I wasn't sure how I should define life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spoke with my rabbi who had, had very clear instructions for me, but was also tentative and then called his rabbi. <laughs> so I kind of had like a group... Well, you know, when you get to these issues, you want to have as much yeah. input. Um, but I had, like, a really wonderful relationship with my rabbi, and he had wonderful relationships, and they all came to the conclusion that I should have the DNC immediately. Mm. Um, and I, I, I talk about this in the article, but the way it was explained to me, and I'm not a rabbi, but that Jewish law really does see a continuum between potential life and actual life. But to understand something as actual life, it does have to be able to breathe outside of the womb. Mm. And there is a real emphasis placed on viability. So the fact that my fetus was non-viable meant for my religious leaders that I should have the DNC immediately, and I should not consider it a life. But you don't, it's not a life, according to, mm-hmm. to what they told me. And then that got me interested in all these things, because I realized when I just started reading about it with my rabbi that so many of the metaphors were different. Like the biblical metaphors for life were really centered on breath. Mm. And the rise of the heartbeat as a metaphor seems much more recent. Yeah. Um, and doesn't seem to have this like deep religious connection. So that's, so that, that all happened. And then, um, thank God I like eventually the insurance company covered it. Eventually I was able to have the DNC, um, although before I had it, I was still, tre- everybody treated me as if I were having an optional abortion. Mm. So I had to go in like 24 hours in advance. I had to watch, I had to read the pamphlet on ab- abortion. Mm. And it was all, you know, I mean, you've been there, like when you want the baby, it's so devastating anyway. And then to be treated as if I were like, I don't, 
it, it, the whole thing felt like really, really cruel. Yeah. And not just cruel to me, but cruel to the nursing staff and cruel yeah. to the doctors. Like, they don't want to do that. They just wanted to be able to care for me. Right. Like, to watch my, and my doctor had to make me sign, like, a consent, and she had to watch me do it, and then she had, I mean, the whole thing felt so, um, so invasive and so not about my personal situation and um, health. Right, right. And that's, you know, the continuum part to me is something I think that, you know, is something I've thought a lot about since then. And I think what is, um, what nobody sort of wants to say or talk about is that we don't really treat life all the same, even once you can breathe, you know, like, and once a child is viable, like I've, I've sort of reached this sort of place where I think, you know what, we, we want to act like we value all life equally. And, but we really don't. And what I started thinking about a lot is experiencing the loss I did where I did. I started to realize how differently, you know, when, when you've never experienced anything like that, I feel like it's just so foreign. And sort of once you place yourself in that spectrum, then you start to, there's like a sort of inescapable comparison and thought experiment that I went through, which was, you know, what happened to me was very sad and it was a loss. Would I compare it to somebody who carried a child for nine months and then there and had a stillbirth? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even begin to compare my loss and their grief or to somebody who had a three month old die of SIDS or somebody and now, you know, and, and my instinct is that not many people would. Not many people would have a stillborn child and then look at a mother who lost a six-month-old or a six-year-old and say, it's the same. So why do we try to put everything in this formula so that we can, you know, draw this hard line and it, instead of saying this is complicated and it's a spectrum and it's difficult? And, you know, I think that that is so powerful that your religious leader said, no, it's a, it's a spectrum. And why don't we just all acknowledge that it's a difficult, complicated spectrum? I also felt personally, and it's a way that I've tried to think about it um, a lot, is there are deep values guiding, like, religious legal decisions. Mm. And, like, in, in those, you know, one of the major values is this incredible like respect and awe for life and like human beings capacity to create life. Mm -hmm. And I think that everyone holds that very dear, but then how do you apply that in an ethical way to all these different contexts? Right. And that's where I feel like you're a hundred percent right. Like the questions of continuum come in. I mean, every, everything should come in. Yeah. Like, and I think the problem with, or one of the hardships I find with the way the conversation takes place is it's all always in the abstract. Yeah. And it's always as if um, there's one value, there's like a single value mm-hmm. and we don't know how to discuss like moral complexity or how that value is applied. Well, and I don't, you know, and I think the sort of the experience itself has opened up a way for me to sort of have those conversations. I had a friend, you know, a dear friend who I was talking with and I said, you know, she felt she is um, Catholic and devout and pro-life. And she, her personal experience had been friends in graduate school who were, who she felt were dismissively having abortions. And I said, I understand your moral and ethical concerns with their decision-making. And if you can figure out a way to, 
address those without sweeping up people like you, you know, or the women in, you know, my friends in North Carolina who have to lecture women who want babies about adoption because their babies aren't viable, then I'm all ears. Really, I am. I would love to have those. If you can figure out a fair, objective way to sweep in this continuum without, like you said, making the process so cruel to certain populations, then I would love to hear it. But if you're going to make it difficult for somebody, you're going to make it difficult for everybody. Yeah, I think I I agree with you. And I I also would just love to, and I feel like you and your colleague did this so beautifully, like what does it look like to really respect women going through this Mm -hmm. and assume that they are moral, ethical human beings first? And and that's the thing that really bothered me is I felt like the state had made all these assumptions about my character yep. and and my personal relationship with my God and my religious leaders. Like, they, they didn't assume the best of me. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that happens all the time. Like, I would love every woman to treat another woman as if they live, like, ethical, moral lives. It's so, and it's so applicable among many issues. Like I was listening to a really great podcast on poverty and they said, you know, there's this assumption in our laws and the way we talk about poverty and social safety nets that the poor don't love their children as much as you do, but they do. Yeah. We make these assumptions and it's so harmful. And with, you know, with regards to exactly what you said, I don't know if you have seen the documentary after Tiller. No, I'm, I haven't. Just... I'm a person that um, likes to dive deeply into issues that affect me on a deeply personal level. It is not for everybody, but <laughs> it's a, a documentary about late, the late-term abortionists that remain after Dr. Tiller was gunned down in his church several years ago. Oh, There's wow. only like four or five of them or right left around the country. And the way they speak, especially the two female doctors, about the ethical and moral questions surrounding late-term abortion is just so incredible. And the one line I never, ever stop thinking about is one of the doc- female doctors says, you know, look, I cannot decide who gets this procedure based on what kind of, how good their story is because some people are better storytellers and that should not determine the care they get. And yeah, I have to function under the assumption that every woman is an expert in her own life. That's my fundamental <clears throat> value is that every woman is an expert on her whole life in her own life you know and that is it it seems when you talk about liberty and you talk about um independence and human dignity like shouldn't that be the fundamental assumption period about all of us yeah no i agree with you and i i i wonder also like we have to be able to balance that with all of us also being able to talk to people and I'm thinking a lot about what's happening right now Mm. politically and the march today and everything that's going on and I want to be able to have a conversation that really honors the values behind a movement that cares about the sanctity of life yeah I really do I want to be able to have that conversation with them but I want them to be able to also have that conversation with so many women that honors their dignity and their individual, exactly what you said, their capacity to be like moral, correct moral actors in their own life story. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that, I, that, I mean, I feel like you're trying to do that on your show, and I admire that so much, but I feel like we, 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 we have to go both ways yes. to have a really effective conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so, you know, and I, sometimes I worry, like, are we, is this, is this a thing that is achievable on a sort of social, cultural, national level? Or, you know, my best friend is devoted Catholic. This is a different friend. <laughs> I hang out with a lot of Catholics, it seems. But um, my best no, friend I is... love that you have... A, you're like the rare American who has a social circle... I do. ...that has deep political disagreements. We should all be so lucky. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's... I quote the sister wives. Just follow me. I swear I'm going somewhere. But I quote the sister wives a lot, <laughs> the reality show, because one time they said... Um, one of the sister wives was like, you know, the the this practice is religious for us. And the practice of polygamy is the idea that being in relationships with other women in the way that we are sort of roughs our, rubs our rough edges off, right? And, and coming up against yeah. each other in, in disagreement, but um, continuing those relationships, it rubs our rough edges off. It forces all of us to look deeply at ourselves and, you know, examine our own beliefs and I just you know I worry so much about the fact that you know so the the echo chamber and are we all going up against people that force us to rub our rough edges off you know like that's important and I don't know if and with something as complicated um as abortion do we is that is that available beyond sort of personal relationships in which we disagree with each other I mean it seems like on some level it has to be because it's an issue we are determined to legislate I know I know, I'm curious what you think about this. The one thing I've been almost so surprised about is, as, you know, I, I'm a teacher, really, by nature, and my favorite moment in a classroom is when everyone in the classroom realizes that now is the time where they get to have a values conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, not just a policy conversation. Yes. But, like, and it's this rare, beautiful moment. Like, we're not just going to talk about um, the New Deal or the welfare state. We're going to jump back a minute and talk about, all right, what are our obligations to one another? How do you structure obligation? And I feel like that has, I don't know why that's so hard to do on a national scale, Mm -hmm. but to me, it seems like such a missing link. Like we're always talking at the level of policy, but not, not honestly, because we haven't had the values conversation. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box. Salon grade tools. Your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Thank you. 
just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour, Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. I'm reading a really great book right now called Clash, and it's about like multiculturalism. And it's really interesting. It's they sort of frame all these different cultural clashes, be it race, Eastern, Western philosophies, gender, through the lens of interdependence versus independence. And but one of my favorite points they make about culture is that the problem with having those conversations about our cultural values is that that you have so many people that refuse to acknowledge the influence on culture, right? So they just, oh, that's interesting. you know what I mean? Like the problem is you have so many people that yeah. are like, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, everybody just does the right thing and I'm just doing the right thing. I'm not influenced by any of this. So you can't really broach this. Okay. Let's talk about these bigger forces that, that weigh on all of us and that push us in different directions because you have so many people that refuse to acknowledge that to begin with. And I think that is, I mean, I don't, I've never lived in another country and I don't know how much that's at play, but it does seem like a distinctly American thing that we are independent and that nothing influences us. And that, you know, we just, we are, un, you know, we just are all our own independent thinkers. Yeah. But even that, like, I would love to be in a room where everyone agrees. Okay. Like, let's say it's just a room where people are, I mean, I'd love to do this in a variety of settings, but if we just assume for a second that everyone believes in the sanctity of life or everyone in the room just agrees in this in this value that, like, there is something divine in every human being, mm-hmm. right? Like a simple religious value that most people would agree on if they come out of a faith-based community. What do you do next? Like, then how do you prioritize that? Would it always go to pro-life? Or if you really thought about it, would it become, like, a whole slew of issues that you'd want to take on? Yeah. 
And then how would you balance those priorities against? I mean, you, I loved in your podcast, um, I think, I can't remember if it was you or your colleague talked about um, her trying to balance the, the sanctity of life argument with an argument about a non-invasive government mm-hmm. or small government. Mm-hmm. And that made her not want to legislate abortion. Yeah, like the liberty, but the liberty like, aspect. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, I would just love to be in a room where I could have that conversation with people because I'm not sure it would end up the way it started. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, and I think what's always bothered, you know, a lot of people from who engage, who who don't feel like the sanctity, who feel like the sanctity of life is important, but struggle to engage with people who who say that's their only value, is the sort of inconsistencies once the life has arrived, right? That's what everybody feels so, or a lot of people feel so frustrated with because in, and again, you know, I think that it was an interesting moment when basically Hillary Clinton during the campaign said, a fetus does not have rights. Like we, we have to start from there. And that is such a difficult argument i understand wholeheartedly the legal argument she is making but it's such yeah. a diff and, and i think that's the problem too right we have all these different conversations we have cultural and um religious and values and then we have to take all that that big pot of stuff and pour it in a mold a legislative mold which is so difficult it's so incredibly difficult it is, and I also think it might be useful to start thinking about, okay, how do we define life? And that's one conversation. How do we define personhood? That's mm. another conversation. And then how do we define citizen? Mm. That's so true. Those are three different like, things. I think and they are, and they come with a different set of uh, obligations. Yeah, right. And I felt like what she was talking about with rights was really the rights of, of personhood and or citizenship. Yeah. Well, because if any, if if you want to say that a fetus has rights, then you can't really escape that they're bumping up against the woman carrying the fetus's rights. You got some overlapping rights and that's really what law school is all about. Like we got some, we got some bubbles bumping into each other. So what do we do? Um, And that's what, but if you can define those different levels, that's an interesting way to sort of think about it and think about, and I, and I think you know, what's, what I struggle with in my own personal experience, and I'd love to hear more about your actual experience testifying and if you felt like the, the, it got through to anybody, <laughs> is that people, you know, just, they don't, it's like they either, <clears throat> I feel like there's just sort of this shut off. Like when I had that conversation with my friend and I said, if you can figure out a way to affect, to not affect women who, you know, like you said, like that to just, it feels cruel. It feels cruel to a certain group. Can you figure out how to stop that? And she was basically like, well, that's for people smarter than me. And I'm like, what? (laughs) No, 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 no. We don't get to just absolve ourselves of the difficulties. I mean, like, have you walked through a state legislator? They're not really up for these complex philosophical challenges, a lot of them. And um, so it's just like, go ahead. Oh, no, I also feel like when it comes to this issue, there's a, and this happens all the time, like, because life seems like so obviously a clear moral value to hold, you just get, there's a moment of self-satisfaction. Yes. Like, I'm arguing for this really clear moral place. Of course I'm right. How could there be nuance? Yeah. But then 
you dig into context and it's like there's just tons of nuance yeah. and moral clarity is not a fair um, maybe it's not moral clarity, but moral simplicity just isn't a fair approach. Yeah, that is so true. And that's that's why I, the, the closest I've ever gotten to sort of feeling like I'm one of my friends I went to college with, and we argued about this stuff all the time, and we've sort of reengaged over Facebook, and, but he's changed, and I've changed, and we've both grown more nuanced. And I said, like, don't we need to acknowledge that it's not as simple as we just value life and we do value life differently because you have two children and you wouldn't, he said, you know, and yeah, I said, you wouldn't say to a woman who, you know, lost a six year old that that's the same as somebody that had an abortion. And he's like, you know what? I wouldn't have said this in college, but you're right. He's like, we lost two, um, we lost a twin pregnancy very early and it was very sad, but now I have, you know, these one-year-old babies and I would never if something happened to them it would not be the same and like it's just but we want the simplicity of life is life and it should be valued at all thing but we we don't even want to acknowledge that it's not that simple and that none of us really go through our daily actions acting like that yeah but it's so hard it's such a hard thing to acknowledge and think about and well what does it mean if we really don't treat or behave as if all life is equally valuable you know that's a that's that's a really, really hard thing to think about. And it's a hard thing to say out loud. You feel sort of like a monster. But But I also I wouldn't I don't know if I would put it that way. I would say that there I, I would say that like even if like even for someone who is really strictly pro life, I think they could say that um all life is valuable, but there is a distinction between um potential life and personhood. Mm-hmm. Or life and person like I think they could find language that doesn't feel crass to them. Yeah. Yeah. Like for your friend, like I feel like he would, he maybe would come to the conclusion that he wants to call like what I would say is potential life. He wants to call actual life, and he still might want to make a distinction between that and personhood. Well, and you know what my friend said one day. This is my, my back to the other friend, my best friend. She said, you know, the the truth is, <clears throat> a fetus is alive. In the same way your liver or your kidney is alive. It yeah. has live tissue. Yeah. It is alive. That doesn't mean it is a life, depending on your definition. But it is most certainly alive. And I thought that it was an interesting distinction that I'd never... Like, it's such a simple... I mean, you're talking about one letter and a space. And it changes the whole conversation. <laughs> totally. Totally, I, totally, totally. And I, But I do, you know, and to... Not to, like be forthright and you know fully nuanced here i don't think that the pro-choice movement acknowledges the difficulties and the um distinct like the, the the hard distinctions within these discussions as well and i understand the instinct i mean and both sides do it i'm just gonna go to the end and double down and the hope that i won't lose any ground because i've staked out this ideological hard position and I don't, it doesn't get either, any, either of us anywhere, I don't feel like. No, I totally agree. I also can't, I really have a, I don't like that language. Like, like, I, that language feels um, thin or shallow to mm-hmm. me. Like, I have so many friends who've gone through um, abortions, and I don't think any of them felt like it was a choice or yeah. an easy choice or, like, the idea of being pro-choice as a, as a choice is like a word that comes to your mind when you're going through this like completely overwhelming, challenging experience just mm-hmm. has always felt really wrong to me. Yeah, no, I totally and, agree. And, do- and doesn't acknowledge the moral gravity that everybody feels. Yeah. And I think it lets both sides um, not take on the other side's moral gravity. Right. 
Absolutely. So I do want to hear more about your actual experience of testifying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I did it twice, actually. So I testified twice. And I had, first of all, I would say I was really um, honored to be a part of, of, of the group of people that testified. Like, it was a really powerful experience. There were doctors, priests, um, Planned Parenthood representatives, and I felt like all of them came from a place of real nuance. Like, I didn't see anyone. I mean, you would have just been so touched by how everyone spoke. That's awesome. Like, it was really, really touching. Um, my experience testifying, I would say, was really mixed. The positive experience was I felt like I don't think most people on the committees that I testified to thought there was a religious argument against the heartbeat bill. Uh, uh. Like for them, if they it hadn't, I really don't think they'd considered that not all religions think of the heartbeat as the most important marker for life, right? Or that the idea of a heartbeat was really just a metaphor for life, and we were lifting one metaphor above all others, like breath or um, brain activity, or you know all the medical ethics debates you could have. Right. And a lot of their a lot of the questions I got were really about that. And, I, and those questions, I would say, were really sensitive and thoughtful. And, and I actually felt like the majority of people on the committee did not respect what I had to go through. Like, they thought that was wrong. They would have preferred that I was just able to get a DNC and continue on this process of trying to create life. Mm. Saying that, I, um, I, our side lost both committee hearings, left the heartbeat bill, um, and I think what happened and what I realized was happening is that the, it was a sacrifice. People like me and my case were sacrifices they were willing to make. Oh, that makes me so furious. I would be shocked. Sure. I don't know why, how my headphones aren't melting because there's fire coming out of my ears. Like, But you know what? I appreciate you articulating that and like, let's just like – Let's be honest with ourselves about that that's what's happening. Yeah, I really felt like that's what was happening. It was just, that was a sacrifice worth making to get what they feel, I guess. And the heartbeat bill, especially, is so hard for me to wrap my head around the real, what they're really thinking. Mm. And because you know, you know the exceptions I, that come up are crazy. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off.
There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. It reminds me of an, a similar <clears throat> sanctity of life situation, which is the death penalty. And what I always tell people is I'm opposed to the death penalty because we execute and will continue to execute innocent people. If you are willing to execute innocent people to get the worst of the worst, then I, that is a moral, that is an argument you can make, but be honest with yourself. And so maybe this is what yeah. we're sort of facing in this situation. If you're willing to sacrifice and be cruel to women like us, then yeah. let's just be honest with it. Let's be let's let's put all our cards on the table and be clear about what's happening. Yeah, and one thing I remember having this conversation, which was, and I I, I, wrote, I think I wrote this exact phrase, but I really believe it, which is like life is not instantaneous. Like the idea that it's just Mm-hmm. Like all of us hold within us like the potential for more than one life, God willing, you know. Right. And I just I don't like being. Tr- I really don't. I didn't like that they didn't care about my capacity to create life. They mm-hmm. just cared about this one. Do you know what I mean? It just felt like such a um, denial of of like who I am as like a woman and a mother and <laughs> like on top of a patient. Like it's yeah. Just- <laughs> Yep. And I it's just, just like, and understand. it's an elevation. It, if you, if you believe that fetal rights are a thing, then it's the, ele- it's again, it's that legal thing. It's the elevation of those rights above everything else of my right to be yeah. treated fairly of my right to proceed per, to pursue future fertility to, of my right to, yeah. you know, 
it's the you know the it's the liberty of almost just to be in control of your own time of your own you're you know you're legally mandating like you said that i lose and any woman who's ever tried to get pregnant understands how long a month can be you know and every if you're mandating that i stay in this medical condition and let's just assume there's no risk which is never the case yeah yeah then you're mandating that I you're you're robbing me of the liberty of controlling my own time and months and years of my life. Like it's crazy. It, and and this was and this is so crazy. And and for something that isn't alive. Yeah. Like my fetus had no no medical person I spoke to thought this was a viable fetus. There was no operation that could happen. There wasn't any intervention right. in modern science that could have made this fetus survive outside the womb. Well, and it's like, to me, even if you're in a situation in which you think as a person that maybe, you know, let's, let's assume that it is a situation in which you have conflicting opinions from medical professionals. How do you want this to work? Do you want like a panel in which the panel says, no woman who wants this child, you have to follow our recommendation about which medical opinion and you have to pray for a miracle and you have to go through these surgeries you don't get a say because it's, it feels like a little bit. That's what's happening. Totally. And I, and I really, yeah. And I also felt like if you're a religious person, you have to respect other people's like faith. Yeah. Yep. Or absence of faith. That is also. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah. I I believe system in, 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 um, that deserves to be protected. Yeah, it's just, and we had, jeez, um, oh, yeah, it's just so, that, that this aspect of it was why I was so anxious to, and you know, it's, it's a deeply personal issue for me because very easily what could have been wrong with my baby could have been something that exactly like yours, it had, was a, there was a heartbeat, but something else. Like I think about that all the time. I think about how traumatic and how hard it was. You know, I had a, I felt pressure and shame by merely choosing surgery because wow. I still felt that. I talked to a woman who was, you know, kind and caring and was really just trying to emotionally support me. But she said at one point, you know, I just felt like my baby deserved a labor and delivery. And I thought, well, what is my baby? Deserve? Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I thought, <laughs> you know, no, <laughs> I, I, that my baby uh, doesn't deserve anything at this point. You know, am I, my, a baby I very much wanted. I had had two children at this point. It's not like I did not understand or was not morally or ethically capable of comprehending what could have been or what was, but like the idea that this 16 week old fetus had deserved something that would have clearly traumatized me. You know, like I don't have, I don't have, I can't time travel. I can't go back and have labor and delivery. But, you know, I feel on, for my, for my, being the expert in my own life, I chose not to deliver. I chose not to find out the sex of my baby. I chose to have the remains cremated. I, ch- I made very specific choices because, you know, and my husband said it best. He said, there's enough to be sad about. Like, uh, we don't need to yeah. find more things to be sad about. Like I didn't name the baby. I didn't do any of these things. And so, and I 
you know, being the expert in my own experience feel for myself, like it made my grieving process so much easy is not a good word to ever use in a sentence with grief, but you know, for me, it felt right. And I think that, you know, I am still sad about what happened to me, but you know, I was, a, <clears throat> a friend ended up losing a pregnancy at the same exact time I did. And I said, well, the one thing I can tell you is I know exactly how you feel. And we t- kind of talked about it. And I said, you're going to do the math until your due date passes. But then I told her, I'm like, but let me tell you this. I can't see, look, I can't even do the math in my head quickly enough. I said like, you know, three years later, the due date passed and I didn't even notice until Facebook reminded me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not something that weighs on me all the time. It, it, it's sad. And I, it's, I don't not think about it, but I don't feel stuck in a grieving process that I worry I might have had I, had I gone through a different experience. Yeah, and I, well, I mean, I'm sure you see this too. Like, I feel like all of my friends have gone through something. Yes. Like oh my gosh. Yes. Like it's, and and I think the stats are like eighty percent. There's really high statistics on yeah. women. Like, once you want to, so the idea of legislating around this issue, when if like it's eighty, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I, I, the last I heard, it was around eighty percent of women who want to have um, children end up with a miscarriage along the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like, about I my personal true. church group of friends, like there's like about 10 yeah. young families, every single women, woman in that group has either had a miscarriage, a pregnancy loss, or stillborn. Everyone, all 10 yeah. of us. Like this might be what it is to create life. Like mm-hmm. this might be what mm-hmm. it, it's a process. Like it's an actual process and you're not, not every pregnancy is going to result in like, we, I, mean, I wish it would, but like. The medical community needs to be able to help us, mm-hmm. and, and that, and it just, it, I, I just feel like it's so dangerous for anyone to start legislating along these lines. Well, and if I was, if I was feeling deeply philosophical, as I sometimes do, I would say like exactly what you said. You know, if the spiritual or religious value is that life is a spectrum then what more do we need to see that than to see that once you decide to become a person who creates and gives life, that you experience, almost all of us will experience a spectrum. So the experience of being a woman who, you know, decides to become a mother and give life means that you almost automatically are signing up for an experience that will be along those that spectrum and I think about yeah. all my friends and all the times we've and all the people in my in my own experience who have faced the challenges of infertility or miscarriage and all these things and I think how much easier would it have been if from the beginning the lesson we were taught was that this is a spectrum of experience and that you know to understand that it is not this neat package that our culture sells us that, and that not just pregnancy, parenting itself. Right. I was telling my, and even abort, and I even feel like women who have abortions should feel that way. Absolutely. Like this isn't the end of their fertility. This is like, you know, it is this complicated, long process and we need to support each other throughout the entire, I I love, I love what you're saying. Like this is a long continuum. It's going to hit us in ways we didn't expect, but we all have to understand, uh, understand ourselves and our 
like fellow human beings as part of this continuum and undergoing it if they're women. Absolutely. I mean, there's a really great, I think it's the head of NARAL. She came to the Democratic National Convention and told her own personal story of how she'd had an abortion and now she has two children. And she said, I tell my story just to, to dis, you know, sort of disavow the idea that bad girls have abortions and good girls have families. No, it's everybody is those girls wow, at different points powerful. in their lives. Yeah, she was amazing. She was like, it was such a powerful speech. But, you know, it's we do this to ourselves and as women, the culture generally, I think this idea that everything is a neat package and the value is found in this package. And if you do not, if you do not check off the boxes, it is, it is not a valuable experience. It's like, it's so, it's so painful and unnecessary. I know. I know. And I, 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 it, I, it hurts me so much that I see this, that, that like our morality almost becomes a weapon against mm-hmm. each other. I, I, I can't stand it. Yeah, and the experiences that we have no control over become a weapon against us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, wow, I think that that is an excellent place to end on. Thank you to our sorority sister, Angie, and Laura for their awesome donations to Pantsuit Politics and to Maria and Adela for becoming new subscribers. And as always, thank you to Melissa, Tracy, Tracy, Ashley, Audrey, Christine, Nicolette, Paige, and Sydney for their all-star rock star donations. We also wanted to ask everybody to check us out on the Dear Maddie show. We had a fantastic conversation, and we really think you guys are going to enjoy it. So go check him out on iTunes or your podcast platform. And as always, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you to our producer, Nicholas Holland, and to our chief creative officer, Dante Lima, for all the work they do to make Pantsuit Politics possible. And to all of you for making this community so special. Remember to like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics or Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Please leave us your feedback and send us your ideas for show topics and Pantsuit Primers on social media or you can email us at sarah at PantsuitPoliticsShow.com or beth at PantsuitPoliticsShow.com.